It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999 podcast like it's 1999 podcast like it you want a podcast like it's 1999 hello and welcome to podcast like it's 1999 the podcast where we talk about the tv of 1999 here from a kegger in 2019 i'm one of your hosts kenny nybart and i'm Gove. obviously that keg is filled with non-alcoholic beer though one of them is yes, one, one, sure, right um here. the other one is not the other one is the other just bill it's just for dallas <laughs> Um, we're here today with David Iverson. Iverson. Excuse me. <laughs> Alan Iverson. Alan Iverson. Um, David Iverson, uh, television writer. Extraordinary. Uh, Mr. Robot, also film feature writer. Um, spy who sh- loved me. Yeah, yeah. Um, this <laughs> so close to Shag. Yeah, yeah, re- re- yeah <laughs> that's a, a thing I often like to bring up. Uh, yeah, re- remember the name of my movie like you remember my last name. <laughs> <laughs> with the same, with the same attention to detail that I can, can they, I say they, you're with a computer in front yeah. of you? We're seeing all this information uh, should be. We got, we, got, we, yeah. we got six podcasts today. We uh, we're doing a lot. Yeah, I'm lucky. I remember there was a kegger in this episode. It's true. Um, Beers and weirs. David, uh, first and foremost, how's your brother doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were we were d- discussing before we pressed play in the episode that, that there's yeah that my, last time I came on we talked about incredible impenetrable minutia that that uh, the hosts of this this, this podcast like worked with my brother. <laughs> So if like if like you're like if you're sitting here in yeah in in a in a non Los Angeles non related city and you're trying to like kind of figure out the yeah the 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 very specific mm-hmm. ways in which you guys work together it's it's, it's, it's great it's we like we like our inside baseball yeah, we like our inside uh, we like we, we like to get inside to the core of the baseball you know get rip the leather out we like yeah. that little piece in the middle so good to hear Greg's doing great how are you doing 
Um, I'm doing just great. Yeah. Doing so, wonderful. Good. Would you say that Freaks and Geeks is one of your favorite shows? I would say Freaks and Geeks is my favorite show. Wow. The, it, is, it is, it is, yeah, it is the number one. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's, I, I knew you loved it. So I didn't exciting. know how much you loved it. I, I don't know why that just excited me so much. Yeah. yeah that's great. That's I, cool. Yeah. I think it's. Do you, did perfect. you watch it live? Or do you I I watched it live. You did. I watched it live. I also I also like you know like the version of like saw it in a club before it was big. Like the summer yeah, yeah. the summer of 1999 I it had an internship in Los Angeles and a friend of mine had an internship at a talent agency and so I watched all the pilots before they had aired. Sure. So I watched back the, in the day. I watched a VHS of the Freaks and Geeks pilot. And so I came back to school an evangelist of you've you have you to watch, watch the show. show. Yeah. Saturdays at eight o'clock well, on NBC. <laughs> constant constantly <laughs> moving around. It, it, yeah. G- great it, my, watching that show live is my favorite show is a real window into my college experience. It's like Saturday night, eight o'clock. <laughs> Schedule is wide wow. open. Seven o'clock. <laughs> seven o'clock in the central oh, yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I was in the central You're time. Fine. I was in the central time zone. Yeah, that is. That's really. That's funny. pregame hour. That's, what, yeah. what was sort of? I mean, you, you saw the pilot uh, mm-hmm. before it aired. What do you think it was about it that hit you so? Like that got in so deep with you? I mean, I think I think it was a yeah. It was just sort of the Venn diagram of all of the things that I was interested in, that I'm still interested in, or excited. Like it, you know. It, there's there was the kind of teen emotional you know hurt and pain and awkwardness that you feel like you know the the way that it does feel like the freaks and the geeks are definitely felt like at least in the pilot version like you know this is like i'm pretty sure paul feig was like he wasn't a story about him and his older sister like this is a story about like him in different sort of paths in his own adolescence and i could sort of feel that these were kind of plays you know that this this kind of can hit a certain person like both of these stories in a lot of the same way and it and it um yeah i mean it was perfectly cast fed into all of the sort of nostalgia that I had and continue to have for like times in which I wasn't, I mean, I I was, I guess I was alive, but like a baby in the time of freaks and geeks. But like, you know, it, there was definitely a fetishization of the seventies and eighties when I was growing up in the, in the later eighties and nineties. So, um, so I think, I think so that the music and then, and then, yeah, I mean, just you, you want to see you want to see a kid beat up his bully, and you want to see a kid dance with the girl he likes, and they kind of do it in ways that are surprising. It's it's interesting because we had um, we had Alan Sappenwall on for for the pilot. We uh-huh. talked with him a little bit about yeah. about the the show, and it, the thing that really kind of jumps out at me, and I'm, I'm sure this is something that you know you gleaned early on in your in your writing career is specificity is everything right? right and this show just feels so specific so much so that you're like you feel like this stuff most of this must have happened to oh, yeah, in yeah. some degree or another and and that's so rare i mean i, I i'm assuming that you can sort of yeah speak so to that. so yeah from a writing perspective i think i think that is the thing that people who just who don't actually write, but try to understand what writing is probably don't understand. Like you, you have an idea that if you're trying to write something that appeals to a lot of people, you're trying to explain universal experiences. But the truth is like, are the people 
who are watching something and read something and appreciate something get much more keyed into somebody like to, to somebody's very, very specific experience that you can't exactly relate to, but that feels incredibly true. And then if it's the added bonus of like, oh, I actually had that similar thing happen to me, yeah. Had that, you know, had that album or or my mom had that refrigerator or something like that. Like those little details will just sort of pop in and then you realize, oh, this this experience just kind of like weaves a little bit into mine and it makes you feel closer to it. Well, because is this the episode, speaking of that, is this the episode with uh, Steve Martin in the background, or is that on the, the, on the back of his door? No, they listen oh. to the Steve Martin out. They listen to King Tut. Oh. No, this is a different. This is not the episode. Is, is that we're three? Yeah. Um, is that your next episode? I don't believe it. I don't is. believe it. I'll talk about that later. Believe it's either of the episodes. Yeah. I'll talk about that later. But we're going to talk about it anyway right now. Yeah. The the I never listened to King Tut uh-huh. because I'm not of that age. Right. But I listened to Adam Sandler's album mm-hmm. Ad Nauseum, and the idea of listening to a comedian's Musical album is a very specific thing that I don't yeah. think is almost sure. ever depicted in media, but it's the kind of thing that like uh, a group of geeks would do. And I think yeah. speaking of that, you know, it's, it's not the specific experience that I live, but it is universal in its own way. And I think that's, I think the, it's so hard to find that. I think the universality of, of specific details, um, is underrated as well. If that makes sense. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, like, I think the, that's the goal. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think we're, we're always aiming for that, that's that Venn diagram of specificity and also universality. Yeah. You, well, you don't have that. I mean, like take ready player one. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't experience most of those pop culture references sure. that, that's in there, but I understand what it feels like to be obsessed with a piece of pop culture. Uh-huh. So I think that that's kind of what, um, what this show does really well. Absolutely. I think there's, I think there's something very sort of, if I'm being honest, antithetical about those two things, about specificity and universality, which is it feels as though your network is always looking for the largest possible audience, right? right. And as a writer, you're always looking to make that thing that feels as real as is humanly possible. And generally speaking, those don't always walk hand in hand. Well, I think, I think adolescence in particular, and it's, it, it's why shows like this sort of are depicting that very specific time in your life, is that – there are there are universal feelings and there are just universal sort of like aches and angst and joy and trauma that just that feels essential and you are going to and it's like if you were to just port your own experience into a different country in a different time you would still have a lot of the same emotional experiences and so but but it will all be it would all be just sort of enveloped in a different sure. culture so so it's it's just trying to find the specific specificity so we understand that this feels real and true and kind of like and pure and then and then feel those sort of moments that, that sure. are like oh i can just i i i'm just transporting my absolute soul into here yeah i mean i think that 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 this show also just it, I think perhaps its greatest gift is that it lives in an, it, it, in the awkward moments of, of adolescence as well. It really wants you to sit and stew in this sort of very confusing time in your life. And it, it's just not trying to gloss over anything. You know, sure. Alan Seppenwell brought up something interesting that he talked to some NBC executives 
because I pose the question like, clearly NBC did not like this show. If they liked this show, they would have, you know, not they put it in a death slot. could not possibly understand this show. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and Alan said that the networks saw the happy, quote unquote, happy ending of the pilot and thought that each week it was going to be something similar to that, where there were some hardships, but at the end, they win. They saw the, they saw the dance and, and they saw Sam dancing with the girl as a victory and they thought each week there would be a victory. Well, I, and it's not really built like I, that. I think that, I, I, I think that the show and I, I don't, I don't know if that's true or not, but I think that the show as it was pitched felt probably a lot clearer as a show to pick up. Right than what the show actually was in its DNA. And I don't know how much you talk about this in your episode about the pilot, but in a way that is very sort of hand-holding in the first shot of the pilot, when you start, you know, it, it, it you have to put yourself into remembering how ubiquitous, like, Dawson's Creek is in that moment. Like, sure. how actually popular teen shows are. So you're starting at a place where you're like, all right, we're, we're showing the pretty people, we're showing the football players, we're showing the cheerleaders, yeah, yeah. and then we're going under the bleachers. If... I am a network executive. I um, and this is pitched to me. I'm sure that it was framed in a way that was saying that um, this is just a way to sort of widen out the lens of high school shows, which are now incredibly successful and popular. Right. And um, but the difference is, and and you see this in very much just how this show is built. Is like it's not. It's the difference between casting people in high school shows that were kind of selling a wish fulfillment of high school. Like I wish I was beautiful. I wish I was popular. Even, even the things that um, people were experiencing in the Dawson Creeks and, and the Felicities sure. were like real emotional feelings, but they were just a little like you're casting people a little bit older than the characters they were playing. And it was, Oh, it was, it was not quite a true teen experience, but it was an aspirational teen experience. So immediately like casting teenagers who some of whom look like children in, in freaks and geeks immediately makes this not wish fulfillment. So it immediately takes it out of a different thing. It is not wish fulfillment. It is, it is like, it is looking at yourself in the mirror, which is just a different experience and not a thing that I don't, I think the network wanted clearly Clearly and, and not a thing that I think audiences were all, all fully understood how to watch at that well, point. It's funny because – so we had you on for She's All That. Yes. Which mm-hmm. is the incredibly exact as- opposite. Incredibly aspirational, yeah. <laughs> incredible, but, but like the but, exact but, opposite But, but dealing with freaks and geeks in a different way, yeah. I mean yeah. I guess sort of. I mean, she was, she she is, was yeah. portrayed by people who did <laughs> who seemed to have read a book on what a geek was. <laughs> Like 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 yeah like like a magazine article on the dentist's office. Of, right. Like geeks are a new phenomenon. <laughs> <laughs> like I think I think I think well, yeah. let's portray. I'm sure I'm sure we're gonna get the gist of it. Um. So I, I want yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to. It's not so much a pushback, but I want to kind of expand this conversation a little bit because the. All right, so I, I understand the the aspirational nature of the uh, the CW shows, and we we spoke about this a little bit in the last podcast. It's basically, like I don't think that the show that was depicted in that first shot of the pilot actually exists. No, no, no. I think that was purely a trick. Yeah, right. I know. I don't think it exists yeah. anywhere in television. I don't think. Oh, oh, you don't think that the, the shot? Cheerleader yeah, and that the cheerleader, player. And yeah, because they, they were casting day players. They're not. <laughs> and also just the archetypes. Yeah. That the you, archetypes. Yeah. That's just yeah. not a show that I've ever seen outside of Say by the Bell. So like. 
in terms of the Dawson's Creeks and the Buffy's and the Gilmore Girls and the Seventh Heaven, those shows aren't actually about uh, cool, popular kids. Um, the Freddie Princes and Paul Walkers and Jody Leno Keefs. In those those shows are about kind of weirdo losers too. I think sure. that Freaks and Geeks uh, is aspirational in its own way in that Lindsay was clearly a geek or a nerd her sophomore year. A math her, lead. A math lead. Her best friend was like the biggest nerd in television history. And she aspired to be a freak, which I don't think they're, – they're only called freaks. That might have been an 80s term. Those were the cool kids in my high school. Really? Those were the kids I wanted to be like. The The – jocks i mean like i don't really it doesn't always go that it doesn't even always fit that easily into boxes but the the coolest kids in my high school were the freaks interesting or who would be called freaks in this show and i think Lindsay clearly is shedding her like let's you call it spade a spade she's social climbing right she's shedding her nerd group and she's joining a cooler group um so, or, or she's certainly well, joining a more rebellious group. I would I'll, say I'll, I think coolers is 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 relevant though. Okay, okay, I sure. think they very very clearly are cooler, um, and I think that's why she wants to be a part of that sure, group. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and I think for people like Apatow and Feig, this is just extrapolating, but I I, I think this is true for me too. People like Apatow and Feig and a lot of television writers who were probably geeks their freshman year, those are the people they wanted to be. The people who actually. Can drum in a band, right. the people who smoke in the the lounge. Not the not the people they could never be. You could you could never be the right. the, the star quarterback. So I I and I don't think this is a, a, a criticism necessarily. A knock on the show. I think this is a, a more relevant experience. Well, well, yes. I, I just to yeah, not push back, but expand. Like I think Lindsay is aspiring, but I think that. This is um, yeah, and and I think probably the world of the, the 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 much more aspirational shows were probably of a generation before, like a little bit of the Beverly Hills Nine Two and O's or whatever. Sure, which, yes, which were purely you know. Let's watch the like, cool like, kids. Like, do like cool pure kids. aspiration, but the difference I was I was saying is that um, I think the audience for Dawson's Creek is younger than audi- than Dawson's Creek, and at the, and and I think that the audience for Freaks and Geeks is older than freaks and geeks and so yeah. and so so that is why it, it so it's the difference it's it's the difference between what you are act like Lindsay. Lindsay is her path is aspiring but her um and and this episode as we get into it is going to be like oh this isn't all it's cut out to be these people are it, this this isn't opening up to a beautiful new magical mm-hmm. world this is actually something that i'm actually having difficult Team managing and it is not as it, it, it I, I don't actually know who I am and I don't actually know why I'm doing it so and and I don't think that the show is trying to tell us that that they're the cool kids in school and I can't remember which episode I watched last night that there was a shot of her walking down the hallway seeing seeing more traditionally popular beautiful people mm-hmm. and and kind of also seeing herself and seeing that that is also not a place where she is so um I I, I think that and you know, I think it's a little like James Franco definitely projects a lot of coolness, and I think he would be in a different show, a little bit more just a straight sort of Luke Perry, Luke Perry, Luke Perry Dylan, Dylan kind of, McKay yeah, character. Yeah, yeah. And I think the fact that they're um, that they they definitely drift into elements of like 
oh, he's like, like he's he, he's he's sad. Yeah. He's sad, and like I mean, yeah. As we delve into it more, when they're when they're showing showing his older cousins at the party, they're very clearly saying that this is his future, and and so there is, you know, he is cool because he is at the absolute moment of his life before it all collapses. There's a lot of um, Judd Nelson from Breakfast Club in that character. Sure. You know, like, because I always, you know, you look at that, um, that break, that those five characters in Breakfast Club. Sure. Amelia Westavis is the popular one, mm-hmm. but Judd Nelson's the cool one. Judd, Judd Nelson alphas that entire, that entire group all the time. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, you know, I remember getting into ideas of coolness and uncool. I don't think any show that's, that's, half decent about high school would ever take a group of people and say, these are the cool kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's only, I, I think it's only interesting in once Lindsay gets up inside the group that yeah. I would consider the cool kids to say grass isn't always so, gr- isn't always so green on this side. Um, but basically, yeah, I think that, uh, I, I think that is kind of a, an interesting aspect of the show that um, James Franco's character is not your typical <clears throat> Luke Perryish character. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's the messiness of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's just something binary about this show, which is what I love about it. Like, I, I agree with everything you're saying that 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 those definitions are there, but there's a there's a blurriness to it. I mean, we talked a little bit about this uh, on the last episode with Alan, but that idea of uh, the episode where uh, James Franco tells his his sob story about the track one, track two, track three thing, mm-hmm. and he tells it to Lindsay, and then he tells the exact same story, and you just realize that the guy's a kind of a fraud, like that, and it's sort of a, a real moment of revelation for Lindsay as she realizes just how, you know, this crush that she has on this guy is is superficial, and that underneath all this, there's just maybe not a lot going on. Um, but I, I think that that's the show is filled with reveals like that. Like just when you think that, that, that Kim is just your, is, is a quote unquote villain, you go home with her and you realize how, how brutal her, her home life is. It's just, everybody is, is just going through their own thing and complex in a way that makes the show so rich. Well, sure. I mean, and that's, and that's why I love the show, but it is also why it is not, it is why it was, why to go back to our arguments, why it wasn't successful (laughs) is why it is not aspirational because Everyone is like, uh, you know, I, everyone is particularly at that age is so plagued by their own insecurities and, you know, and even in a show that might have, you know, even a show like Dawson's Creek, which, which, which Dawson's Creek, which I will acknowledge is not necessarily about the quote unquote cool popular kids, but the angst of the people on that show is very, is, is also exciting angst it is like mm-hmm. aspirational angst whereas the angst of the show in freaks and geeks is very very ground level and very true and you um you know and if that is not your actual experience and fears and things that you hope are never exposed it is someone you know yeah it's it's, it's this idea of does anyone watch this show and to your point, aspire to be any of these characters. Right. Um, which comes back to something you said on the last episode about this idea that this show is not meant for teens. Like this show was clearly meant it's for a, a generation. A, it's a Gen X show, right? Which is why it's a period. It's a nostalgic right. show. Yeah. And, and that's, that makes it tricky. I think th- I, I kind of want to reframe the conversation about this a little bit just for this episode and for future episodes. We talk a lot in terms of why the show quote unquote wasn't successful. Yeah, yeah. And I tried to do this in the last episode with Alan, which is basically – no teen show yes. yeah. in 
1999, or really ever, would have been successful on CBS, ABC, or NBC. They just didn't have the infrastructure or the yeah. ability to promote these shows or to foster these shows. They didn't know what they were doing. And I think Freaks and Geeks is a really good example because I don't think Freaks and Geeks is unsuccessful in any way. Freaks and Geeks is a great television show, and they did exactly what they should have done with it, I think. So I do think it was success. Like more people watched Freaks and Geeks than Dawson's Creek um, in its one season. It's just the standards were – Totally it, out of it, whack. It was, it was called it was called a failure, so it felt like a failure. Right, right. but it really yeah. wasn't. And I, I, if it were on WB, who knows? Like if it would have gotten Dawson's Creek ratings, I have no idea. But it really doesn't feel like it was a failure to me because twenty years later, we're still talking about it. I, so, I didn't mean to frame it as a well, failure. It's, it's, no, yeah, no, I know, mean, but it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's. It's NBC's failure. Yeah, to it's, me. It, it, it's, it was a bit in the wrong time and a bit in the wrong place. And, you know, and, oh, you know, the people who were, who would have loved it most were probably the people who were discovering it later. Or yeah. having yeah. dinner. Yeah. Or, on, a yeah. Saturday, on a Saturday night. Yeah. Had plans. Had plans. <laughs> uh, so the synopsis of episode, we're going to say 102 just for, for simplicity's sake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, beers and weirs. Um, when the weir parents go out of town for the weekend, Lindsay's new friend suggests she throw a party. Lindsay hesitantly agrees in the hopes of impressing Daniel, who has broken up with Kim. She asks Sam not to tell their parents, and he agrees, though the thought of serving beer at a party worries him after... Uh, going to a school assembly focusing on alcohol-related deaths. When Sam discusses the matter with his friends, Neil and Bill, Bill suggests that they switch the real beer with non-alcoholic beer. Despite the fake beer, the rowdy teenagers begin to think they are drunk, and Lindsay soon finds herself having a terrible time when she sees that Daniel is back with Kim. Uh, Beers and Weirs was written by J. Elvis Weinstein and Judd Apatow and was directed by Jake Kasdan, and it aired on October 2nd, 1999. Um, you know, it, the, the house party is a trope, mm-hmm. and... I love this episode. Like, I, it, it's it. it's like it just, in my opinion, just goes to show like who gives a shit about a trope if you can execute it unbelievably 100%. well. Like, who cares? Um, and it's it's tremendous. It it really felt. Um, it kind of had a Richard Linklater vibe to me a little bit. It had that sort of dazed and confused. Mm-hmm. The, the the kind of shagginess of the party, like it didn't really have a quote unquote a drive to the episode. Like, there isn't any plot to really speak of. They like have a party. Well, there are three. Yeah, there are a few things that like happen. Every yeah. every character, most characters have a trajectory, have a sure. path. Have a, like Sam is a want, and Lindsay is a want. So yes, that yes. you know that that is you know Sam is trying to save his sister, or or, or Neil is trying to save Lindsay via via Sam. So they're sure. trying to protect them from the beer, trying to protect you know <laughs> you know Sam is walking around putting glass vases away and stuff like that, and and. <laughs> And, you know, and, and Lindsay is trying to put, you know, trying to get out of her comfort zone and be seen as cool and, and, and be with Daniel, which right. seemingly is what, is what, is what he is, he, he is, he is giving her mixed messages that he is interested in. <laughs> um, I, there's, there's a, there, I didn't mean to insinuate that there isn't a lot going on in this episode. Right, but it isn't, it isn't, it isn't like, yeah, it, yeah. it, you know, if you, Take like a just a slight like if risky business has a you know is sure. a similar house party thing with a lot more stakes with like a right. clock and a and a and a you know and a and a mob boss and a crystal and, 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 and a crystal going, egg oh, and crystal egg and all and, you know and you know and, and and having to get into college like it 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 strips away you know you never you don't really feel the stakes of the parent you don't you don't even have the scene of the parents walking back into the house which is the classic part of the trip. right. 
Like, and, and it's not just in risky business. Like that is in every version of like, of like, did we clean up enough? Why is there a beer can in the trash? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love the scene up top with uh, Lindsay and Nick in the hallway and she can't understand why he's so upset about John Bonham dying. Yeah. Um, she's like, can't they just get another drummer? Yeah. Like it's, and he's just, I mean, obviously he's inconsolable. Um, there's also something so great about Lindsay's naivete mm-hmm. when she, and, and this is a, a testament to, to Linda Cardellini's um, delivery, but the way she can vacillate between Lindsay being so aw shucks and adorable and just sort of like oblivious to things and also being, it just goes to show like, I mean, again, uh, teenagers on a dime, their, their emotions can, can flip. And she does a great job of those vacillations. Yeah. It's, it's, she's, she is somebody who is smart and sheltered and she is, um, trying to figure out certain social cues that these people who she's hanging out with all, all kind of speak a language. And she is like, yeah, she is like, like, they're speaking Spanish and spe- she's speaking Portuguese. So they can slightly like <laughs> yeah, communicate yeah. with one another. Like they have most of the same words, but there's like a few things that like she just, she just essentially doesn't understand. What's well, like that in situations like that, we just kind of have to smile and nod through it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? There's, it's, it's literally like when, when they say you should have a kegger, she's like, you mean a party? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But she just doesn't. Yeah. I, I mean, I think thinking about it this time and it doesn't, it doesn't do anything to dampen my enjoyment of it. I started to wonder. And maybe it requires a rewatch further down the line, but I'm not – still not sure why they're friends with her. I don't I, – I think she's great and lovable and all the things that's right. great about her. I don't quite understand why those are things that they're desiring in their friend group. She feels like a – she feels like a, a, a fun distraction or, a, or a, a weird little thing that they're kind of – toying with a little bit. Yeah. I mean, Nick is obviously into her. Right. So mm-hmm. there's that. Um, I think they're fascinated by her a little bit mm-hmm. and she just keeps kind of coming back. Like on some level, she kind of, she's putting herself in their orbit a bunch that she sort of becomes a part of it. If that makes any sense. I think she serves a purpose for them. Um, outside of Ken, who really doesn't count and doesn't really seem to have a vote in the group. <laughs> Um, True. Nick is clearly in love with her. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel sees her purpose. He, by the fifth episode, she's helping him with the tests. Yep. Um, she legitimizes him in the eyes of the school, I think. And Kim very clearly says, my parents are really excited. I'm friends with you. You know, she's like, she like explicitly says, like, I'm telling everybody about you. I think these are, I think these are kids who are looking for some legitimization um, in the right. eyes of the school. And I think she that provides that on top of that, like, it's shallow, but it's true. She's very cute, and it's hard for me to. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just sixty bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince—they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Uh, I mean, it's it's hard for me to not include that in the calculus sure. as to like why high schoolers would hang out with a cute girl. I just think most would. So, Yeah. I mean, I think there's, I, I think a lot of people are either fascinated or infatuated with Lindsay. Um, Neil has his feelings for her as well. Yeah. Boy, yeah. <laughs> Boy, that's, that was rough. The thing, the, 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 well, the thing that I both that's don't great. believe and love about Neil's character is yeah. I don't believe that any other character ever in movies would have the guts to even go one step in that direction with his old, with his like uh, sister's hot friend but sure, Neil sure. would I believe sure. it I believe it <laughs> deeply yeah I, I am do you believe someone would or that Neil I believe would? that character yeah, I, believe yeah. I yes I feel you know it's like you know I I I I feel I I I my nightmare is I look in the mirror and that is who I am. But I but I but I also feel like I know that character intimately. Oh, I my nightmare is that I'm Sam. Well, I, I think I feel, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm definitely. Sam. I'm a Neil I'm a is- Sam with a Neil rising. <laughs> Neil, like I know that Neil is like I know Neil is kind of like the butt of the jokes of the show. But that kid has balls. He does, and I love that about him. He like does. he has balls and he has confidence. Like. He's the big, he's the nerdiest looking kid who's ever lived and he doesn't act like it. He does these ridiculous, outdated impressions. Well, he feels like he's 45. It's cool. <laughs> I love kids who feel like they're 45. Yes, I mean, I mean, those were, yes, I knew a lot of Neils and love, yeah, yeah, and it's, it's a hard thing to grow out of. I mean, I think it's that's the point. It's like, it. I'm not rooting. I'm, I'm like, I, I know what. Everyone else's future is a little bit unknowable and, you know, and Neil, like you absolutely, you know, you, you know, the, 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 the sitcom he's going to work on, you know, you know, you know, that, you know, that, you know, that, you know, you know, the house in Sherman Oaks he is going to own, like, you know, all you, 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 you feel very Apatowian. He feels very much like that. Yes, for sure. Neil is the guy who, as he gets older, is going to just become a better and better hang. He's going to be the guy you're still texting. He's going to be the guy who you're always going to be able to have an hour-long conversation with about stuff that you can't talk to anybody else about, not like personal stuff, just like really obscure stuff. Sure. I have a Neil in my life. I've I, <laughs> I have a Neil in my life. He's a friend of a friend. I have seen exactly. I, I have I have met him. I have met him in I have met him in person less than ten times, and I text with him every single day. <laughs> Um, I consider, this is a fascinating relationship. I consider him one of my. I consider him one of my best friends, and I almost never see him in person. I, I just, I just rewatched Ghost World recently, which I Great think has movie. a lot of parallels to this because I do think that I do think the Steve Buscemi character, mm-hmm. while not having such the overt Jewishness, you don't like Neil that much. No, you think he's like the Steve Buscemi <laughs> no, character. No, no. Ghost what World. I'm saying, Steve Buscemi character, you're you're completely, you completely are. You heartbroken for He's the him. saddest character in the world. <laughs> what I'm saying is, I'm not saying no. I'm saying that yeah. he is somebody who has such specific interests sure. that the world does not care about, and it is the it is the constant <laughs> conflict of his life. Sure. Is that like I am? You know, I care about these things so much that also 
make it difficult for me to have human relationships. Phil, you're a Neil. I think I'm actually more of a Sam, if I'm <laughs> no, completely kidding. honest. I, 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 I was just joking. Okay. Off that. Thanks, man. Um, well, you know, you called me Ross in the Friends episode. I didn't so. call you Ross. Do you called you Ross? Anyway. Uh, it's just anti-Semitism. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, there, there's something really wonderful about Neil's character, but he is the first one. How can I put this? He aggravated me initially. His character. He's aggravated. He's aggravated. But then he, this, I think it honestly was the Lindsay stuff that made me soften to him. Mm-hmm. Um, in this episode where I was like, oh, man, like he's, he's, he's a good kid. Like he's not a bad kid. He's just, uh, he's just wound pretty tight. Well, well, here's the other thing. And, and I find this the more and more shows that one that I write for that there is inevitably, particularly in a comedy, a show where a character allows the writers to write him like a writer and put all the jokes they want to put in. So that is, that is Neil and that is Ken. Right. You know, right, right, right. Yeah. Ken is purely observing the world yeah. and, and making snide jokes. And Neil is saying, and, you know, and, and Neil is saying perhaps the greatest joke in the show, which is that they elected me class treasurer and I didn't even run. <laughs> <laughs> It's the I, best joke. I actually don't like that <laughs> because it's too. Right. Because it's, it's, it's too. It's too it's good. A joke. No, no, it's like yeah. it's no. I I don't like it's a joke. Joke. It's like it's, it's not. It is such a good joke, but his. But it it's so good that like you actually do feel like this little hint of like I actually do feel this little like like tinge of sympathy for him as the black guy saying I have it harder than you. He's like, you, you see what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like sure. There's, it's a complicated scene. There's just no world in which me, a Jewish person, has it harder than the one black yeah, guy yeah, in the yeah. school. Yeah. But if I got elected treasurer without running, <laughs> I think I'd have amazing. a pretty good case. Um, <laughs> so the, the, the sober students improv player scene, yes. which oh, I man. adore, adore. Um, there's a lot going on in it, but one of the, the little things that I love. Is Harris the best character on the show? He's fucking amazing. Well, Harris, Harris is the greatest casting I've ever yeah. seen. Unbelievable. Oh, unbelievable. His, his, no one delivers a line like that actor. I mean, he's in Royal Tenenbaums as well, if I remember correctly. Playing he's essentially Dudley. Essentially the same Sort character. of a similar yeah. character. Yeah. The moment that I love in this scene is when Daniel puts his head on Lindsay's shoulder to go to sleep and the look on her face, like it's just a dream come true. And it's, it's a throwaway thing that goes away in five seconds as he takes his head off of her shoulder. But it's just, I don't know, there's a lot there and it really kind of fuels a lot of the Daniel stuff for at least the next couple episodes. But, but this, the, the sober improv players, uh, are amazing. The co- the the dropping of cocaine into, into like just the the way that they speak of any vices. The way they improvise exactly like a teen would improvise, taught by Mister Rosso. Yeah, I mean it was really yeah. it's fantastic. And about how to be about sub- like it it both the difficulty, but both the awkwardness of watching a teenage improv, and then you know that the that the scene has to be about sobriety <laughs> and that and that the, and that the suggestion is always going to be sex there's also just something about the when 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 rosso tells them to freeze they're always <laughs> the mid-step oh, it's yeah, so yeah. good the one where they're mid-step going and back is Millie, too much Millie is shaking a little yeah, bit. yeah. yeah. a sex party i heard a birthday party <laughs> it's so good 
and those three kids that that yeah. are like those three recurring characters, Millie, Cindy, and Harris, who are in yeah. the sober improv players. The fact that they found like three distinct archetypes who would do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. You know. Oh, it's like and, and very different, and yet. But Perfect. all characters yeah. that were previously established, you don't yep. have it's it's really impressive. Yeah. yeah. Well, Millie has I I would argue one of the most iconic moments in the run of Freaks and Geeks in this episode, which is her playing the piano. Yes. And Nick singing with her. Uh what what is the song? Jesus is just all right with me. <laughs> yeah. I think it's by the Doobie Brothers. And yeah. it's just Perfect. I think this is why I don't like Nick. <laughs> I love that. I, that's the thing I love about I Nick. What, I don't believe him. I think I th- Really? He just the, the I think classic it's a classic rock. It's a song that actually he's in the demographic for. No, sure. And so he would know the song and he's also clearly high and um and and um you know and then and then and then she would know the song she learns in church camp. I mean it does feel like the Venn diagram of how these two people would connect. Uh, this is what I'm this is what I'm trying to go at. I believe it would happen. I can't figure out. This is why I, I I'm very uncomfortable with Nick. He's like, he's like Fight Club the movie. Uh, he's like a lot of these movies in that I think that he wants it both ways. Does that make sense? In that I think in his heart he wants to be the guy who goes over to Millie and sings with her and makes it comfortable for her. Right? Okay. And I think mm-hmm. that's why – don't tell me if I'm wrong. I think that's why you guys like the moment. Right? Uh, it's one of the reasons. But yeah. I don't think he – I don't think he has – I don't think he has a first thought about making Millie more comfortable. What do you think his thought is? He just wants to sing. He knows the song. The song. He knows the so- like. He knows the song. He is. He has. I mean, I, I think his. I, I mean, I think there's also a really interesting thing that I don't know that they explore that much. Which, which, who is that? That this character is always number two in his group. That, like, you know, that he is. Less than he is less cool than Daniel. He is like he is less handsome than Daniel, and like and that that is a little bit, you know that that, that there is a little bit of a chip on his shoulder about that. But I think that he is. It's it's the same instinct that he wants to keep talking about John Bonham to somebody who clearly has zero interest in Led Zeppelin, but he is not. He is not taking the cue. He is the person who is like. But this is the thing I'm interested in, and mm-hmm. therefore I'm just assuming you're interested in it. And also the person who immediately goes to not even trying to like cop a feel, but unhooks it's a bra. Yeah. It's insane. I mean it but it but it felt enormously true. It was a it was a you know, it it's he is a little bit has that like nice guy disease like the faw nice guy thing. And I think he his character gets get get gets a lot more depth as yes, he does. On. But in this episode, I think he is somebody who believes he is a nice guy, but is also just incredibly selfish. Perfect. So I <laughs> I that's it. And I think that but I think that's what it, what he was stealing her spotlight. At yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's I I th- I think I think you nailed it. I think um I think the fact that he's number two is incredibly important, right? I think group dynamics. I think like quote unquote rankings within a group of friends uh, is not nearly as explored enough in pop culture as it, as it should be. I think it's incredibly <clears throat> important in real life. Uh, I think it informs a lot of his actions. I think he thinks he's a nice guy. I think he also thinks he has plausible de- deniability if Ken and Daniel come at him later. He's like, yeah, I was humiliating yeah, that yeah, chick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why I'm uncomfortable with this character. I, get that. I think that's the, the beginning and the end of it. But yes, I think you – know. I think there's also – folded into that, um, I don't remember which episode it was that I – that I really kind of 
honed in on it, but he's got like this faux swagger about the way he like that he actually physically walks. Jason Siegel. Mm-hmm. Jason Siegel so does. Yeah. But but there's just like there's this and, and it almost feels like he's trying yes. to channel a little bit of like a, a Vinnie Barbarino or like a, a John Travolta kind of vibe. Or Daniel but, Desario. Or, Yes, that. But kind of more specifically, like, I do think he does seem like he's play acting a cool kid. Yes. Whereas James Franco's effortless and Seth Rogen's doing a very different thing. Yes, yes, yes. um, Which, to his credit. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's just interesting that, that there's, and, and part of it might come into, you sort of mentioned it, you alluded to that his character gets more depth as it continues. There's a little bit of like, they don't fully know what Nick is yet. That's why I think the show, that's actually why I think the show is so brilliant, more than even the Kim Kelly thing. Recognizing this very specific thing that Jason Siegel's doing that is, uh, that, that is not of, that's not necessarily of this group. Mm -hmm. And they, they clearly get it in the beginning because he's a little weirder and he's nicer to Lindsay than the other ones. Yeah. But, um, really honing in on that. I think that's the episode where he was, there's something with the band. I can't remember. Yeah, later. I'm with the band. It's a, yes, it's, exactly. It's episode six. It's yeah. such a good episode. Yeah. yeah. It was great. Um, I love a lot of the stuff that Lindsay does to prepare for the party. My favorite being the posters, the unicorn, but po- like all it's the psychedelic so, posters so, yeah, are so, just so, amazingly yeah. embarrassing. And then immediately it got, immediately got cut down as soon as they, as soon as they walked. <laughs> yeah. What uh, piece? Yeah. yeah I think, roasted. <laughs> I think that, it's I, Ken doesn't get much up top. No, um, but there are little things that define him, and him bringing his own pint glass is one of them. Like the fact that he just has it in his in his pocket feels a little bit like the Joey joke that you referred to in the in the Friends episode. Is that two pizzas? Uh, with the, with the no, no. <laughs> two pizzas. No, uh, that he has a fork. Oh, oh no. yeah. <laughs> what, are, what are we eating? <laughs> the fork. Yeah. There's just something very charming about someone that walks around with their own utensil that I just, I love. Yeah. Um, so Millie has a moment that uh, really rang true for me. Uh, unfortunately, fortunately, depending on how you look at it, when she says, she's offered to be, she says, no thanks, I prefer to get high on life. Mm-hmm. I had a moment at summer camp. I don't know if I've said this on the podcast. No, so I'd remember this. Okay. You're going to love this. Uh <laughs> I was at summer camp. I was, uh, I was, I, I believe, uh, I was in the senior section at this point. So I was probably 13 or 14 years old, maybe, okay. f- maybe 15. Uh, and, uh, we were all sitting around boys and girls and they were talking about smoking pot or whatever. And I said, if you can't get high off of a good book or CD, you're not trying hard enough. You really said that? I said that. And it was, it was, was easily it, was one it, of the most embarrassing moments in my met life. Met with the derision oh, that it deserved. <laughs> oh, oh, a hundred. It was met with st- stunning silence, and then derision and mocking, right. and which never stopped. I mean, I I'm amazed you said that. It was crazy. <laughs> Good for it was, you. Uh, that's great. I don't know. It was uh, the girl that I was with at the time did not think it was cool. Um, <laughs> hey, you had a girlfriend. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> it was just. It was one of those things where that's insane. You said, that. yeah, no, it's I'm so absolute madness. Uh, and and I, I truly can't believe that I said it. But when I saw this, I was just like, God, am, I, am I Millie? Am I well? The Millie moment. Millie, the Millie moment was also informative because you know, and you you saw it in the in the improv thing that this is. This is the first time she has ever been yeah. offered beer, and also she practiced this. <laughs> she has said before, you know, mm-hmm. if anyone ever said this to me, this is what I would say back. <laughs> and so and, – and with the sort of confidence and self-assuredness and what is great about that character is that – you know, and and we'll touch on this with the Lickamade in the in the next episode too. Oh, so good. It's that she 
does she does not have that one part that thing that I just find the thing that every teenager most teenagers have, which is the the constant doubt and in, in second guessing. Totally. Like she's yeah. She is she is the most confident person in the show. Well, she was absolutely. She was built by her parents' church and school, and she believed everything they taught her. Mm-hmm. And this is what you get. Yeah, you it, know. Yeah, it's 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 so funny. You, uh, the, both of you say that. Like, there, there's the confidence she has. I mean, even in the later episode where we see her making out with that guy. Yeah, like she's got a boyfriend. Like she's she's kind of got it figured out for herself anyway. Like she knows what. Kind of. She cares way too much about Lindsay to have it figured out. Well, that's true. Fair, fair enough. But, fair point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's it, it's it's really great. So then uh, Daniel's friends show up, which are utterly terrifying. Terrifying. That that who's that actor? He's like he's, he's in so stuff. Scary. Which one? The guy, the, the the guy who tries to fight grandpa. them. <laughs> the guy who tries to fight is it Ken? I think he tries it's to fight Ken. Seth Rogen. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, when they walk, just just them approaching, coming like just walking. Whenever, they, uh, right whenever up the like front Hollywood line. needs an unintelligible drunk, they go to that guy. <laughs> Do they? Mm, I think so. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna put some money on him not being alive anymore. <laughs> I thought about that same thing. First, I thought would the character be alive? If he, if he was if he was like this in 1980, would he still be alive? It was, the same, years it was later? the same bet I made about the woman the woman answering the door, the trick or treating, and true, true enough. She's not alive. <laughs> Oh man. Uh, <laughs> it, it's just it's and this is the the fine line that the show walks. We touched on this a little bit with Alan last week, but the show doesn't go fully dark, mm-hmm. but it does acknowledge it from time to time. And those people walking onto the front line are an acknowledgement of of a very dark future that could be coming for any of these characters. Yes. And it it's 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 pretty scary. Particularly Daniel and Kim and yeah, yeah. and it does and 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 the you know and they were, you know, they explore this more with Daniel as it goes on. But the part in in Lindsay's room where her instinct is, I'm so embarrassed of my achievements, yeah. and his saying that if I if I had won a blue ribbon, like you know, I I don't remember the actual yeah, line, yeah, but yeah. like, but but he is he is someone who is, you know, even even though that in that in that scene that you were talking about, that scene where you you see he's a fraud and he does the yeah. same, but. But the thing is, he is aware that the one thing going for, like, literally the one thing going for him is that he is handsome, and he knows that sure. that is gone pretty soon because he can see he his knows. cousins. Yeah, oh, that's awful. All right, so is uh, that guy alive? Clement Blake dead. Um, <laughs> Clement, can I read out some of like his died of old age, or he, he or like like pickled. ran no. into a pole? <laughs> he died. He, he died at sixty three in New Jersey. Uh, it could have been anything. Can I just yeah. can I just run down some of the actors, some of the characters he's could played? Been, it, could, it could have been the mafia. <laughs> it could have been the turnpike. There's really, there's really been, so yeah. many things. Yeah, uh, he your... played. All right, this is just going back. Homeless man, beggar, subway passenger, <laughs> peyote Phil, homeless man, homeless guy, cue card man, Chester, <laughs> homeless man. I appreciate, I appreciate the one thing being like let's give the homeless guy a little more depth and give him a name. <laughs> This time. Worker two, aging uh, bellboy, mother so elder, Mr. Baloney, homeless. <laughs> Mr. Baloney's interesting. Yeah, I know. Gun show patron, homeless man. <laughs> he had a niche. Mad dog. 
penal, it does. penal colony inmate, garbage man, homeless man, gas station attendant, pasty faced man, holy spirit man in X Files. Pretty good. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, so one thing that I wanted to oh, tap in. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, he was in SAG. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He had a niche. So, um, the health insurance didn't last him past six. <laughs> Something that's interesting though is that in, in, method. in this particular episode, you've, you're really sort of seeing that Lindsay wants Daniel. Yeah. And, and yet she gets hit on by two other guys in the episode, neither of which she has really any interest in. Sure. Neil and Nick both essentially make moves on her. Yeah, yeah. And the Neil one really breaks her. <laughs> Because she's just like the one it's guy. Awesome. I, well, the thing, awesome. the thing about it is, yeah, the too. thing about it is, she doesn't give him as as nice as Lindsay as the person, as nice as it shows throughout the series that she is kind of she has a real moral compass. She's really like she's torn by a lot of things. Never for a second is she not annoyed by Neil. Like, never for a second is she give him anything but, like, yeah. why are you talking to me? What are you doing here? <laughs> also, like, yeah. there's this, like, her reaction is basically, like, throwing up her hands and laying back on the bed and, like, why is this happening to me? She's basically like, you're not a man. Like, I don't even, I don't even, like, I'm not even acknowledging that this you're, is a- You're a child. That, that this, yeah. You're a, you're a, you're a nothing. Like, I'm not even acknowledging that this is a human person in front of me spilling out his vulnerable heart. Like, you are just an annoyance to me. I mean, him saying – him telling her that he loves her and – yeah, and you know, and we were talking, we were touching on it, like what he possibly could have imagined that <laughs> going to happen would have come from that. I mean, I guess he's just watched enough watched movies that movies, he felt yeah. that that could have done something. But um, also, read the room. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> this is not a happy person. This I, person is like not a, it's, it's not your mom. It's not your mom. High school freshman boys not the best at reading the room. But fair, fair he point. didn't. He did not unhook her bra when he hugged he didn't. Her. It's That's true. true. Well, yeah. um, he probably would have. I think that Lindsay and Daniel have chemistry. Yeah. I think that there's something interesting about their chemistry too that I can't really totally pinpoint. Like I think he's I think he's a charismatic guy. I think James Franco's a charismatic guy. I think mm-hmm. that Daniel's a charismatic character. Um and I think that she's very swept up in it, but there is an independence to Lindsay as well that that makes I don't just there's a, there's a very interesting. Well, well I think I think the the, the the difference between Daniel and Nick, and you know, and she does end up with Nick here, you know, on and off, is that there's no mystery to Nick, even yeah. though there's more that we explore. There's you know, you ask him a question, he answers it. And with Daniel, every single time Lindsay goes with an instinct of this is how Daniel wants me to – this is definitely what Daniel wants me to do in this situation. This is definitely how I should react to my trophies. This is how I should react to like – you know, it, it, every time he's sort of like – he kind of gives her a look and he – it seems that he actually is more interested even if that is just an act and what is her true reaction and what is the truth of it. Sure. And I, and I think Lindsay is somebody who is – you know, who's a math person who is a problem solver is very, very intrigued by somebody who she is completely wrong about at every turn. Yeah. No, that, that makes, mm-hmm. that makes absolute sense. I think that, um, I want to talk a little bit about Bill in the episode who really does spend most of it relegated to guarding MV- the MVP, MVP of the whole guarding the, the real beer, AKA drinking, uh, the real beer out of a, a very little baseball moment. <laughs> <laughs> 
But they, they, yeah. so, I don't know if they had that in. Well, I don't know if they had that in Canada, but those were the, in Dairy Queen. That's oh, how yeah, you got yeah. your Sundays. Oh, okay. And they you still got, do you, the Dodger yeah, Stadium. Yeah, you ask for the. Yeah. You know, they have different teams, and you got your ice cream Sundays in those little in those little helmets. Okay. So like. It is a very like iconic '80s bedroom thing that you would have those little helmets around. Oh, okay. I, I didn't. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, I just. I really just appreciated him putting it on after oh, was, after, yeah. after he after he drank the after he drank <laughs> one little cup of beer. He then put it on. It's just. It's fantastic. There's also just. There's a scene deeper uh, in the series, and I don't know which episode it's in. Uh, Bill makes himself a sandwich and watches. Well, it's Gary Shandling. It's Gary Shandling. Yeah. Uh, there is something so – I mean it is iconic of, of just Bill watching television by himself. There's just something about that character, the way these big – I mean the glasses make his eyes look obviously gigantic. But there's he's so wide-eyed. He's so like open to things and just watching him sort of ingest his, his television shows I just find really sweet. Yeah, it's a, it's a different – it's a slightly different side of the same coin as, as Millie because he doesn't have shame in who he is. Correct. And that is really appealing to him. But but there is like – there's definitely something off about him as a – like, you know, it, it in a way that he's very sweet and you love him. But there is definitely something that's like not okay with him. So like you you know – like at least how at least how Martin Starr is playing him is yes. that like he seems a little like touched. So it's um, – yeah. so, so, so you're not exactly sure – how to feel about him, but I, but I do, I always sort of appreciate that he does, um, he gets joy in the things he gets joy from, even though, even though his friends are telling him. He's also generally the voice of reason. Yeah. More Mm -hmm. times than not, he's, he's certainly the most reasonable of the three of them, of, of the Sam Neill, Bill trifecta. Uh Bill's the one that, that clearly sees or sees things more clearly than they do. Right. I think that Sam is so sort of like caught up in his own neuroses and what have you. And Neil is sort of caught up in his own kind of shit. Bill seems pretty clear headed for what it's worth. He's weirdly invisible. Um, you know, like there's something about Sam that, that I think is really just a function of kind of being the main character of the show, which is, um, life seems to happen to him more than anyone else. You know what I mean? And this happens to people. Where he just happens to be the one who's there when, you know, um, the jock hits him in the stomach by accident. Yeah. Yep. Or things like that. And almost every, he's the one who Tom Wilson thinks is making fun of the sex ed stuff. Mm-hmm. Happens all the time to Sam for whatever reason. And Bill almost, I, I, for whatever reason, seems like he's un- invisible. Therefore, he can kind of sit back in this Ken role yeah, yeah. and comment. So he does off, he is often the voice of. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, let's not do that. Let's mm-hmm. not go there. But uh, I think it is kind of a function of him not being targeted a lot. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that essentially, I mean, the, the episode ends with Neil calling the cops to break up the party uh-huh. as a favor to Lindsay. A weird thing that he actually did not have to do because then <laughs> then he just says the cops are here. So just bizarre. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, it's bizarrely it's, unnecessary. She, yeah. she does appreciate it. She does appreciate it. She does. It. And, yeah. it, and it does, it's a gesture. I mean, I do love Lindsay continually pretending to be drunk, convinced that she's drunk. Yeah. I'm so wasted. Feels, she feels says inc- it so many times. It feels incredibly true because she is like having a, an emotional breakdown and. And so her all of her like brain chemistry is out of whack and better to attribute to something that sure. she does think is happening. Oh, yeah. that's that's very generous. <laughs> <laughs> you think she never felt drunk and she's lying the whole time. I think she thinks she's drunk, but I don't think she feel 
she, I don't think she's any idea what being drunk feels well, like. Well, that's true. Yeah. And I don't think that she feels particularly off. I don't think she feels particularly off at that moment than she did before. I think she just thinks I'm quote unquote, I'm wasted. And I think that jives with, you know, the idea that she, she put up all these posters to impress these guys. Mm-hmm. She has all these things to impress these guys where she's like, I've been drinking alcohol. I should act the well, way yeah, I, 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 I think she is. I, I think the idea that she believes she is drunk is lowering her inhibitions enough that right. she is allowing the emotions that she is previously tamping down to come out. Sure. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, <clears throat> and then our episode ends with Bill passed out in the hallway yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and her saying, don't, don't choke in your vomit like John Bonham did. Yeah. <laughs> so she learned something. I guess she Wikipedia that. something over the course yeah. of the episode. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I mean, there's not a, a ton of, of sort of quote unquote trivia or production notes about the episode, but there is an interesting piece of something that I learned about the show, uh, which is that executive producer Paul Feig had originally planned to do a storyline based on the uh, wrenching real-life process of integration in his high school that it went through. When NBC nixed the idea, a subplot where Neil and an African-American student compare their histories of suffering was written and the network gave it the okay, um, which I think is interesting. It, it, it's it, Again, it just goes to show that NBC seemed to be pushing back on everything with the show. Like, yeah, it just I mean, didn't yeah, let yeah. the show just be what it what it was obviously intended to be. It's a bummer. But, but well, it's not a bummer because somehow improbably, and we all work in TV, so we know how often this, show this happens. No, that they somehow made this show not feel like it was noted to death. That somehow, mm-hmm. despite the fact that NBC mm-hmm. did not get this show, that never did I feel that they yeah. were compromising on the show that came out. I mean, that storyline aside, yeah. you know, those, they, they were going with the versions that were the creatively best versions. For sure. I'm okay with that not being a storyline in this show. Okay. I don't think that would have um, aged that well. No, don't get me wrong. These, Weird episode two. Yeah, yeah, these guys, these, these Apatow, Feig, um, Mike White, have proven to be like, you know, kind of <clears throat> great writers, great directors in their own right, you know, in their own right moving forward. So it's not a knock on them, but um, integration from the, from the point of view of white men uh, today sure. is not really something that the culture needs. Um, I think what we need is really what they brought to the, what, what they gave us at the time. Sure. So I agree with that. Like, I think if you look at the Friday Night Lights episode, another show I'm uh, uh, in love with, um, with the coach and with Smash, mm-hmm. um, I don't think that ages that well. I don't think that really actually gives voice to the African American viewpoint in that kind of conversation. Sure. I don't know the race of all these writers, but so many of them are famous. My guess is that, you know, the ones I all know are white men or there, there are a few, there, I think there are two female writers on the show. Um, I, I get why Feig wants to do that. I get sure. that it was an important thing in his life, Sure, but it probably was not, it probably would not have been the best move for this show. I mean, and, and they did, <clears throat> they were able to comment on that in their own way mm-hmm. within the context yeah. of that. So I, I, I do think yeah. that, that it, she's it, all that too, right? A little bit. Sort of. It's kind of the same joke. (laughs) Um, Well, uh, that's episode 102. It's a great episode. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Um, just just to quickly add that episode twos traditionally are the hardest things to do on a TV show because you're trying to figure out what the show is after you've made a pilot. And that this episode two is probably the 
strongest episode two of any show that I've seen. I, I would I would agree, and I, I think that I think it so too. I, part of it though is a testament to the show they built in the pilot was so sort of totally distinctly theirs that it it there was you didn't need to repilot it if that makes any sense. Like part of the problems with episode two is that they tend to be repiloted. Well, yeah, but most people will still do that. Yeah, right. You don't need to, but you will. Yeah. Well, yeah. Pete, well you're 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 given this mandate often to repilot yeah. which is stupid yes they didn't even really piloting for those that don't yeah, it's basically telling the exact same story again, the pilot yeah. again. yeah your concept at the very they least. didn't really pilot this show yeah you know like yeah, i know and, and, well, as writers you're told as writers were told so often we don't like premise pilots premise pilots are pilots that basically you know explain the premise of the show the new doctor starts at the hospital the new lawyer starts this place this this thing just gets started from the beginning breaking bad's a premise pilot most shows you've seen mm-hmm. are premise pilots this really isn't mm-hmm. the only premisey thing here is Lindsay joins the freaks yep uh they didn't even want that they want her to just be a part of the freaks right so because they didn't give you a premise pilot in the beginning. I think they felt the freedom to just tell another story, which is wonderful. Right, but I they, but they, but they, but they, they mixed up all the characters in a way that they didn't do. They, they For definitely sure. changed the dynamic of the show, and they had they had Sam's group intersecting with Lindsay's group in a different way. Yeah, and I, I appreciate that the show built is built in such a way where I believe these two groups um, interact as much as they have in the show. You know, sometimes when you have a limited cast, you have to have people interact uh, in ways that do not feel natural mm-hmm. or not feel organic. And they do it in this time, every time it feels like this makes some sense to me. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's 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 a it's an amazing episode too, and that's a really great thing to highlight because so rarely do you get a show that is so confident right out of the gate. Like a show that's fully formed mm-hmm. right from the jump. And this is just one of those shows that it was. And it, and again, it just shows how strong the vision for this show was whether this show is your bag or not and and possibly it wasn't for a lot of people who didn't watch the show but Can't if it imagine was, why you're listening to this podcast you're like, <laughs> yeah it's like i didn't really like it but i'd like a episode by episode breakdown please <laughs> but i do think that there's I, I, it, the vision of it is just so distinct and it knows exactly what it is and, and that's an amazing thing so that's episode 102 uh we'll be back uh next week with episode 103 mm-hmm. um david you're on twitter right yeah, David Iserson, I S E R S O N. I am at PM Iskov on Instagram and Twitter. We are at podcast like 1999. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe, and we'll be back with David next week for episode 103 Tricks and Treats. Thanks. Podcast like it's just podcast like it's podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it's.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.